Hi, and welcome back to What Remains. I'm your host, MK. This episode, I'll be going over how non-transplant tissue donations fits into existing literature and anthropology. The topic of tissue donation is most frequently discussed in reference to conversations about organ transplantation and the legality surrounding organ donations. Anthropologists have largely used this topic as a way of examining selfhood through the body and how socioeconomic inequality is enacted through the physical self. Increased interest in organ and tissue transplantation in the field developed in the 90s and picked up traction in the early 2000s with a heavy focus on the illegal trafficking of organs harvested from both willing donors and unwilling victims, typically across international borders. Nancy Shepard Hughes has been especially prominent in the anthropological study of organ trafficking and the broader ethical implications of organ transplantation. Founder of Organs Watch, an NGO that monitors human trafficking for the purposes of organ transplantation, and advisor to the World Health Organization, Shepard Hughes' research on organ transplantation primarily examines the neoliberal colonial power differentials present in living donor organ brokering arrangements. In the course of her research, she interviewed hundreds of living organ donors from the Global South. She notes that the sales replicate existing inequalities, allowing for, quote, transplant tourism, end quote, to provide wealthy or even moderately financially stable Westerners with organs provided by the Global South's poor and desperate. In these arrangements, brokers who are often themselves from wealthier nations in the global north take most of the profit from the arrangement, leaving the donor with usually a few hundred or thousand U.S. dollars worth of profit, while the recipient is paying in the tens of thousands for the organ. Donors are often lied to about the amount they will receive, as well as the potential health and legal risks they undertake, and they are rarely offered post-operative care or protection from criminal charges associated with the sale. Shepard Hughes states that such exploitative organ brokering deals are a byproduct of Western powers reinforcing political and economic conditions that breed, quote, bodily ontological insecurity, end quote, in the global south. A similar issue is raised with sex tourism. Without economic and social stability, global Southerners are forced to negotiate between use of their bodies for Westerners or risk starvation, dangerous physical labor, or catastrophic health issues, potentially having to sacrifice their bodily integrity no matter what they choose. Other ethnographers like Abade, Kierens and Cooper and Taylor have elaborated on the ethical, legal, and economic impacts of tissue sales via legal trade or illegal trafficking. Roberto Abade expands on Shepard Hughes's work, stating that these international transplant deals exacerbate existing social and racial inequalities locally and internationally. He also rebuffs the language used surrounding the typically poorer donors, saying that the transactional nature of the transplant procurement is obscured through, quote, language of donation, volunteerism, and gift giving, end quote. Sierra Kierens and Jesse Cooper point out that the racial inequalities in medicine accumulate in a greater hesitancy to donate blood or organs amongst Black and Asian UK citizens because they worry medical practitioners don't have their best interests at heart. Janelle Taylor, on the other hand, challenges Shepard Hughes and others' hardline stance against market-driven transplantation. In her article, A Queen of Hearts Trial of Organ Markets, Why Shepard Hughes' 
objections to markets and human organs fail. She says that Shepard Hughes mischaracterizes those in need of transplant organs as desiring to, quote, live a longer or better quality of life at any cost, end quote, focusing on the concept of a wealthy Westerner preying on the impoverished global South instead of examining the root issues in medical care that make organs from postmortem donations inaccessible to most, even in wealthy nations in the global North, and the inherent predatory nature of all economic interactions under capitalism that follow these lines of power. Taylor addresses the important issue that even in a wealthy Western nation like the U.S., the people most likely to need a transplant organ are marginalized people with worse health outcomes and less access to preventative care. Taylor, in an article co-written with Benjamin Hippen for the American Journal of Transplantation, also accuses Shepard Hughes of promoting the idea that transplantation technologies are new ways for medical practitioners to profit from their patients rather than means of keeping more people alive for longer. They challenge her notion that thousands of so-called futile cases should be cut from transplantation waitlists, pointing out that this is akin to devaluing people based on their inability to contribute to society according to neoliberal principles of labor value. Instead, Taylor pushes for an expansion of legal regulated markets of living donors and the European model of presumed consent, which is a system where everyone is a presumed donor unless they choose to opt out. Taylor makes some really important points about those needing transplant organs being made to shoulder the blame for exploitative organ brokering practices. Transplant organs are vital to the survival of many ill and disabled people, and palliative care like dialysis is rife with financial and racial inequality and for-profit values that put patients' lives at risk. Unfortunately, her solutions of a regulated legal organ market to meet transplantation needs are unrealistic, as many countries ban or heavily regulate organ donation, living or cadaveric, due to an array of cultural, legal, and religious reasons, which is unlikely to change anytime soon. And as Shepard Hughes points out, the continued legacy of colonial control over the global South creates the unequal access to medical and financial security that allows this type of exploitation to exist, not just in medical care, but in many spheres of life. Greater availability of safe, regulated transplant organs needs to be made more widely available for the sake of those that need them to survive, but exploitative power dynamics in their acquisition are a symptom of ongoing colonialism. Of particular note in organ transplantation research and anthropology is the idea of the ambiguity that transplantation creates. Megan Crowley-Matoka and Margaret Locke discuss how the movement of organs from one body to another disrupts how we conceptualize selfhood through a body that can be divided up or partially replaced in their article, Organ Transplantation in a Globalized World. And in Inventing a New Death and Making It Believable, Margaret Locke discusses how brain death as a designation was invented when respiration and heart rate could be maintained through medical technology to allow for organ harvesting before life support was removed. She states that this new form of death, brain death, creates an ambiguity between life and death, and a Cartesian split between mind and body becomes necessary to conceptualize this type of dying. She and Crowley Matoka highlight how the technological advances that have allowed us to use bodies outside of the conscious self, whether through an organ from a living donor or the use of a cadaveric body, have produced a culturally objectified view of the body that the tissue is taken from. 
Organs used for transplantation in the U.S. are often thought of as, quote, anonymous interchangeable parts, like replacements for faulty parts in an engine, end quote, while prospective donors or their families are encouraged to envision the donor as living on through the recipient, creating further ambiguity of the donor's tissue that is both commodified and anthropomorphized. Cultural beliefs like inheriting traits or skills from a donor clashes with medical practitioners who instead pathologize this belief as an unhealthy and irrational fixation they call Frankenstein syndrome. Ethical and legal considerations relating to bodily autonomy are further explored in research on surrogacy, sex work, and other topics falling under the categories of reproductive and sexual rights. Sarah Ann Ketchum investigates the link between philosophical understandings of organ and tissue sales with paying surrogates to carry a client's baby in her article, Selling Babies and Selling Bodies. Ketchum primarily focuses on the idea of whether or not the body and bodily processes like giving birth to a child are something that we can morally commodify, again addressing the idea that the poor must commodify their bodies for survival. And Phillips explores the ethics of viewing bodies as property through the examination of surrogacy businesses in the chapter Bodies for Rent, the case of commercial surrogacy in her book Our Bodies, Whose Property. She makes a very salient point that applies broadly to bodily autonomy. The people navigating the moral gray areas of conceptualizing bodily autonomy and how bodies are commodified through surrogacy are often the poorest and most marginalized. Phillips says of surrogacy that it is often wealthier clients hiring poorer surrogates to carry their child, often making surrogacy a survival strategy in rural areas with limited job opportunities for women. She also emphasizes that the wealth disparity is often present in sex work as well. This frequently comes up in discussions of what we want to happen to our bodies when we die. Reverent and spiritually fulfilling funerary practices can often be financially inaccessible to many, and in regards to body donation, the choice might be made on the basis of how much money is saved from donating a family member's body rather than paying for the burial or cremation. With examples of surrogacy and organ transplantation, it isn't a one-to-one comparison with non-transplant body donations because there isn't a single specific wealthy benefactor, but in the broader framework of neoliberal capitalism and inequality, it is ultimately the wealthy who benefit the most from biomedical advances, improvements in forensic investigation, and training in higher education made possible through these donations. Thank you for joining me. Next episode, I'll be looking at the history of cadaver research and its legacy of inequality. Talk to you next time.